It's in Acts chapter 20, verse 25. Uh, Paul is speaking to these people who he has uh, won to Christ. Uh, he discipled them. He's going off to Rome. He, he will never see them again. He's probably gone to his death, even though he didn't die quite as soon as he thought he was going to die. Uh, he, he probably did never see these people again. So here are his dearest friends, and he's bringing them together, and, he, and he's trying to say the main thing that he wants them to remember for the rest of their lives, and here's what he says. He says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see my face again. Verse 32. I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are being set apart for him. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Very interesting. He's, he, he says two things that are tightly connected. The first one isn't a big surprise. I think the second one is. The first one is, he says, I want you to remember the gospel, the word of grace. I want you to remember that you're sinners saved by grace alone. I want you to remember that. I commend you to that. And it's an interesting statement, which is a, would be another sermon. Uh, I commit you to the word of grace. I want you to live the gospel out. I want you to uh, live consistently with it and so forth. I want you to... I want you to enjoy the inheritance of those who believe the gospel, and that is eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the first thing he says, not a big surprise. Believe the gospel, live according to the gospel, remember your sinners saved by grace. The very next thing he says, which is a surprise, is this. He says, I did not live among you in greed and covetousness, and I showed you a life poured out in deeds of mercy to the poor, as the Lord himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's the last thing he says. I mean, when you're doing your last words to people that you love, you, you want to say the most important things. And guess what he says? Believe the gospel and live radically generous lives. Are those two different subjects? Would it make sense that he would be changing? Here's his, here's his last, second last sentence. Really live according to the gospel. And here's his last sentence. And live lives of radical generosity. Are those two different subjects? Is he saying, live lives according to the gospel, and now on a whole nother note, live lives of radical generosity? No, he sees those two things absolutely together. Here's what he's really saying. If you are people who know that you're a sinner saved by grace, not by works, you will live lives of radical generosity. If you are people, he's saying, that really do have the spiritual inheritance, you're going to be radically, promiscuously generous with your earthly inheritance. Now, let me break out under three headings what we can learn from this text. I think they're really important. We first of all see the healing power of giving, and secondly, the hidden power of greed. The healing power of giving and the hidden power of greed. And thirdly, how do you break, how do you break the second power so you can release the first? Number one, when I, when I say this is telling us about the healing power of giving, it's because of this word blessed. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, the trouble we've got is that we have, in our evangelical world and in the English language, we have debased the word blessed. Before the face of God, we become everything we ought to be. 
We experience complete spiritual and physical and social. All brokenness goes away. All imperfection goes away. We, we are everything we ought to be. It's full, complete, multidimensional human flourishing. That's what you experience in the face of the presence of God, right? When we were in the presence of God in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. We had a spiritual relationship with God that was perfect. We had relationships with one another that was perfect. Our bodies were perfect. Everything was perfect. There was no breakdown. And the minute we lost the Garden of Eden, the minute we were cast out of the presence of God, the minute we lost the light of his countenance, everything began to break down. Everything began to fall apart. And we lost shalom. We, we, we became subject to disease and death. We lost our relationship with God. We fight with each other. Everything falls apart. You know what blessedness is? Blessedness is beginning to get back some of that shalom, some of the peace, the, the flourishing, the wholeness that comes back as we more and more draw near to God. And therefore, when Paul says it is more blessed to give than to receive, he is saying nothing less than this. That's a beatitude, you know. And what he is saying is nothing less than this. It is through radical giving of your income that you begin to heal the world. So why aren't we healing the world? Point two. Point two, Paul points out this when he says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold. Now what he's saying is, that's the first point. Before he says, I have really poured myself out for the weak and the needy. First he says, because I have not coveted coveted anyone's silver or gold. Point two is, we're not doing the healing power. The healing power of giving is not being released because of our own materialism, of our own covetousness. Now, let's think about this. I think it's astounding that the last thing Paul wants to say to a group of people he's never going to see again, who he loves like crazy, is watch out for greed. Isn't that amazing? Would that be the, would that be the last thing on your lips if you were say, saying something? He must be saying that there's almost nothing more important and there may, there's almost nothing that's a bigger problem. Some years ago, Kathy uh, asked me, I was doing a series of uh, talks for men at the Harvard Club on the seven deadly sins, and I was packed out on lust, by the way. And uh, Kathy said to me, what's next week? I said, greed. She said, it'll be your lowest attendance. And she was right. And the reason was, not because people said, I don't want to hear about that. No, you're busy, you know, and you're looking at the, at the schedule. And nobody thinks it's their problem. See, the reason why Jesus Christ doesn't have to say, look out, you might be committing adultery. But he he doesn't say that. But he does have to say, look out, you might be greedy, is nobody thinks they're greedy. Nobody. Paul even says in Colossians 3, to covet is, uh, is, is a form of idolatry. And then right away you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've always heard this. I understand it. Money's an idol. No. Well, I guess I could say sure it is in some ways, but I don't think that is really going to help you get to the bottom of our problem. Basically, Jesus doesn't say, money's an idol, so watch out for it. What he actually says is, where your treasure is, there is your heart. And you know what that means? You've heard that. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. What he really means is, your money is the perfect way for you to find out what your idols really are. You will always find it effortless to spend money on the things that are your real salvation, your real significance and security, your real God. Now, let me be frank about mine, for example. I like giving money away, but it is something of an effort. (laughs) But it is never an effort for me to buy a book. Never. I can buy, 
any kind of book, any book at all, I want it up on my shelf. It doesn't matter. I, I like the newer and the more hardback and the more expensive, the better. <laughs> Why? Because I get my identity from being an authority, a teacher, a preacher. Oh, you know so much. Okay? So that's the thing I fight with all the time. Is my main identity, d d does my value really rest in what Jesus Christ thinks of me and how he's loved me? and what God thinks of me in Jesus. Is that it? Or is it that people say, oh, you're so smart. Well, it's both, and those things fight. And the way I know that it's still a fight I've got to fight is because of how incredibly easy it is to spend money on books. Last point, how are we going to break the, the power of this? You see, it's not enough for people to get up here and just say, you got to do it or God will get you. You need to be generous or God will get you. Now, I know that you're not going to say that, but, you know, it can happen. People, you better be generous or God will get you. Okay, that's working directly on the will. Another approach is to say you, you, you've got to be generous because look at all these poor things out there that need your money. That's working on the emotions. Another way is to actually work on the mind and say, uh, put your money to this and you'll get the most bang for your buck. You know, just, just run the numbers. You know, this many conversions for this many dollars. This is the best buy. All of those things will fall short of dealing with your heart in a way that you have to deal with your heart if you're ever going to heal the world with your giving. So how do we, how, how do we change? And here's how we change. Grace. The word of grace will make you generous. I commit you to the word of grace. Now, you probably even know a Sunday school definition of grace. What is it, everybody? God's riches at Christ's what? Expense. Okay, listen with me. Every other treasure but Jesus will enslave you. If you say, I know I'm okay because I'm smart. I've got all these books. I've got all these degrees. I know I'm okay because I'm pretty. I know I'm okay because I'm powerful. I know I'm okay because I'm the best at my job. I, I'm, I know if you treasure these other things, if you treasure these things and say, if I have that, those treasures will run your life those tre because you have to have them. You panic if you don't have them. You panic if something goes wrong. You, uh, you, uh, you'll do anything. You'll cut corners. You'll, uh, you'll, uh, you'll cheat, you'll lie, you'll, you'll stab people in the back because you've got to have that. But Jesus Christ is the one treasure who died to purchase you. See, all other treasures will demand that you do anything to get them. But Jesus Christ did anything to get you. All other treasures will demand that you go to the mat to purchase them. But Jesus Christ is the one treasure who actually died to purchase you. Your career is not going to die for your sins, but Jesus did. What do I mean? Why did Jesus come? Why would he come? What did he not have? I mean, he was rich. He had the world. He had the universe. He was upholding everything. Why did he come? The, there's only one thing that he didn't have. What was it? Us. If he hadn't come to earth, if he hadn't become a bo baby born in a manger, if he hadn't died on the cross, he would have lost us. And by coming to earth, he lost his glory. And by going to the cross, he lost his father. He lost, he, he lost the universe. He lost everything on the cross. You know, He was sent essentially to hell on the cross. What does that mean? That means we were more valuable to him than the universe, or he wouldn't have lost it to get us. 
we were more valuable to him than, than his glory, or he wouldn't have lost it to get us. That means we're his treasure. We're his ultimate treasure. We're the thing that drives him, drives him. He's done, he'll do anything for us. He has done anything to get us. And when I see him making me the ultimate treasure of his life, that melts my heart and makes him the ultimate treasure of my life. To the degree I see him making me his ultimate treasure, the one thing he's willing to die for, he becomes the one thing I'm willing to die for. And you know what that means? All these other things that you are important to me just become nice things. The more I see Jesus Christ making me his ultimate treasure that makes him the ultimate treasure of my heart instead of books, instead of being smart, instead of anything else. And next thing you know, my money's free to be used to heal the world.